The first hymn that we sang this morning is Count Your Blessings, and um, I, I didn't tell Jenna in advance what uh, uh, hymn I was actually going to be preaching from this morning, and uh, the last one that she shared with us and, and led us to sing is a great song to preach on because he lives. It's, it's one of my favorite hymns. It has a great message to it, uh, but it's not the one the Lord led me to. Uh, today, he led me to another hymn uh, found in our hymn book, hymn number 644, which is Count Your Blessings. And I think probably the, the main reason why this hymn came to mind this week is because it's Thanksgiving week. And Thanksgiving is an important holiday, I think, for people um, to, to take advantage of. In our country, uh, the Thanksgiving holiday traces its roots all the way back to our founding fathers uh, and our pilgrims, actually, that got here first. But it, it wasn't proclaimed a national holiday until 1863 by President Abraham Lincoln. And in 1863, uh, President Lincoln proclaimed uh, that the fourth Thursday of November of every year that he encouraged the American people to set aside time to, uh, to give thanks unto God for the many bountiful blessings that God has bestowed upon us as a country. Now, as, a, as an American, we have plenty of things to be thankful for. Um, and we ought to give thanks to God for giving us the, the blessings that we have in, in our country but, but more than that, we ought to, as Christians, we ought to be thankful every day. We, we shouldn't have to wait till a holiday in November to be thankful for the blessings that we have in our lives as believers, that we ought to be thankful every day. And the hymn that we're going to look at talks a little bit about being thankful or counting your blessings in, in various um, different aspects of life. Um, because we all go through different aspects in our life, good times, hard times, spiritual good, spiritual highs, spiritual lows, physical highs, physical lows, all of those types of things. And that's what our hymn is going to talk about, but it really just reflects what Scripture has to say to us already. Because Scripture has made it very clear that as a believer in Christ, as a follower of Christ, we are to be thankful to God continually in our lives for everything that he's done for us. And so we're going to talk a lot about that uh, this morning. And the reason why is I feel like sometimes one of the issues we face when it comes specifically to um, being thankful for the blessings that we have is that we become dull to the blessings. Like we begin to take them so much for granted that we forget they really are a blessing and not everyone has what we have, not, not just as an American. We obviously know there are countries that don't have the freedoms we have. But as a Christian, we have things in our lives that anyone who's not a Christian, let me rephrase that, everyone who's not a Christian doesn't have. And when I was living at, I'll give you a kind of an example of how that works. In, for six, almost seven years, my family and I lived in Lone Grove. Now, Lone Grove is down by Ardmore. And um, to, to come see my family, my parents who live in Wewoka, we would have to drive there. And, and in order to get from our house to their house and back, we had to drive through the Arbuckle Mountains on Interstate 35. And anytime I had someone in our church who was in the hospital, 
They were in Norman, Oklahoma City, False Creek right there. We always, if we went north anywhere, we had to drive through the Arbuckle Mountains on I-35. Now, if you've never driven that way, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. But when you live there, you forget how beautiful it is. So we lived there for six and a half years, making that trip all the time, and that got to where I, 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 everything's by landmarks. I know I see this, we're almost to this exit, we're that, almost to this exit. And you lose, you lose sight of how beautiful it is. And then we moved. And when we moved here, there was a, about a year before I was actually able to make it back down there in the daytime. When I drive down there, a lot of times it would be in the evening or whatever, but to drive in the daytime, we had lived here about a year, and we're driving down through there, and it's in the fall, a year after we moved there, and all of a sudden I'm sitting there going, this is beautiful. Because while we live there, you take it for granted. But when you move and you're not around it all the time, you begin to see how beautiful it really is. And that's the way we are sometimes with our blessings. We, we take them so much for granted. We get used to them so much that we become dull to how great they really are in our lives. And so that's why I really want to emphasize this morning looking and counting the blessings that God has given us. And in order to do that, we're going to look at this hymn, but we're also going to look a lot at what Scripture has to say to start with, found in Ephesians chapter 1 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul tells the church in Ephesus, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. All right, I want you to just, just think about that for a moment. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. He's talking to the church, so this is Christians. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul is coming to the end of his letter to the church in Thessalonica, and he's been teaching them lots of things about uh, praying for the church, pleading for purity, uh, a brotherly and orderly love, um, the comfort of, of Christ that we have as a believer. Chapter 5, he starts telling them about the day of the Lord, uh, some, just some great things in, in there uh, with that. And then in, in, in verse 16, he begins to really conclude his letter, and he says this, starting in verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's pray. God, I pray today that you'd bless the reading of your word, and as we examine it this morning and look at these uh, inspired words in your word and also the way that you've used the words of this hymn that we've sang this morning uh, to encourage us and to teach us truths, I pray today that we would truly, as your children, be thankful for all the blessings that you really have blessed us with. I pray that your spirit would move in our midst, teach us the things that we need to know, this morning is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. 
So these two verses that I, I talk about in Ephesians chapter 1 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 are just a few of the many verses of Scripture that speak to the, the Christian or to the believer being thankful to God for the blessings that he has or she has in his life that's been given to them by the Lord himself. Yet many times, just as I became dull to the beauty of the Arbuckles by living there, we become dull to the blessings of God and this particular text and the hymn that we sang this morning both are are there for us and are written to us to help believers remember to be thankful at all times and in all situations and so with that in mind let's look a little bit at this hymn called count your blessings that we find in our hymn book this hymn was written by a man named J johnson oatman jr who was born in new jersey just just shy of the civil war civil War. Now, his father um, was Johnson Oatman Sr., and he had an amazing voice. As a matter of fact, there were some people that, that said that the, the senior father, uh, Johnson Oatman Sr., had the most powerful and beautiful voice in the entire East of the United States. That he was a very well known, very accomplished singer. And when, and when Junior, that's why I'll, I'll call him a lot today, when Junior was growing up, and they would go to church together, he always wanted to stand by his dad. And the reason why he would, and they asked him, why did you always want to stand by your dad? And he said, I always loved to stand by my dad so I could hear his beautiful voice proclaim even more beautiful biblical truths. And he said, I, I, I loved going to church to learn. I loved studying the Bible but I loved, I absolutely loved hearing my father, who could sing beautifully, sing scripture and biblical truths that far exceeded his music ability. And, and, and because of that, he fell in love not just with music and with the hymns, he fell in love with scripture. And at 19 years old, Junior surrendered to the ministry. He joined, um, and I didn't even know this was a denomination, uh, but, it, but I guess it was. He joined the Methodist Episcopal Church. Never heard of it, but that's what he joined, and he, he was ordained into that ministry. Now, he never took a full-time pastorate. He, wanted, he was a very accomplished uh, woods craftsman, and he felt like his full-time job enabled him to preach the gospel freely to churches that couldn't afford a full-time guy back in the 1800s. So he never took a full-time church, but he preached all the time, and he pastored many different churches. But in 1892, because of his love and, and, and remembrance of his dad singing those beautiful words and because of his love for God and God's word, he began to notice that, a lot of the, um, that there weren't a lot of really good sound doctrinally sound hymns being used in the churches in the United States in the late 1800s. And so what he set out to do is he began in 1892, he began writing hymns for the churches to use to sing and to worship the Lord. Now, this is the amazing thing about this man. He averaged over 200 hymns and gospel songs a year written. He wrote over 5,000 hymns in his lifetime until he died. Some of the ones that you and I know is Count Your Blessings. We sang that this morning. He's also, also the, uh, the man who wrote Higher Ground. He's also the man who wrote No, Not One. 
He also wrote, He Included Me. Those are just a few of the songs that he wrote that God has used for the last over 100 and almost 150 years to, to celebrate these truths of God and to teach people in the church through music these essential theological truths. And so God has really used this man and his music to teach people. But this particular hymn, Count Your Blessings, was written and first published in a songbook for young people in 1897. And it was purpose, he said, the purpose of this song was to reflect on the biblical idea of optimistic faith and, and to challenge everyone, and mainly at that time, young people, to never lose sight of all that God had done for them, no matter what season of life they were in, whether or not it's a physical issue in their physical life or a spiritual issue in their spiritual life, that they should never cease to praise God and to count their blessings for what God has done for them and to continually count their blessings in order to be reminded of what God had already done, what he is doing, and what he will do in their lives. And with that said, he wrote this very famous hymn that we sing and we sang this morning, Count Your Blessings. And so with that said, now that we know a little bit about the history and where it came from, let's look at the theological truths that are found in this hymn. Now this hymn there are four verses. Uh, he wrote all four of these verses, and, and each of them emphasized counting your blessings in a different aspect of life. And, and so we're going to look at that. Not only does he set, talk about, about counting your blessings in those aspects of life, he gives us the reason why we should count our blessings even in those aspects of life. And so let's look at them as we finish up this morning. First off is difficult times. We are to count our blessings in difficult times. That's what verse 1 is all about. Now, I'll be the first to admit to you that it is not easy to count blessings when life is difficult. It's not the first thing that you and I nat naturally will want to do when life doesn't go our way. We, more often than not, and I know I'm not the only one, okay, so, but we, more often than not, we're kind of like pigs, now, let me explain that. We would rather waller around in our problems than get cleaned up by the Lord and move on. That's the way we are. That's the way we're naturally built. You know, I don't know much about pigs, but I, I, I've had students in my youth ministry that showed them, and they'd say we'd clean them up and get them all clean and put them back out, and you look out, and they go right for the mud hole, and they're right back in it and wallowing around and it's like, that's kind of like we are. We like, we'd, so a lot of times we'd rather waller around instead of staying where what God has already done for us. And that's what we do when it comes to counting our blessings. When, when life gets hard, it's not really natural for us to sit back and really count the blessings that God has done for us. And so this song, the first verse, is written in order to remind people to count their blessings in difficult times. It, it's calling the singer to think about what God has already done and be mindful that he is still working in their life, even when it's crashing in all around you. Now, this is the same idea that Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 1. But before we get to that, just listen to the words of the song and what he's saying. In the first verse, he says, when upon life's billows, you're a tempest tossed. So he's talking about when you're in, in life's storms, basically is what he's saying. 
when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost. Okay, so now you're, you're discouraged. You think everything's done. Maybe everybody's fleed from you. Uh, maybe your health has went away or, or whatever. He says, then he says, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Okay? And, and so that's the words that he pins. And the first idea that he talks about is to count your blessings during life's trouble. And, and, and then he follows that up with why we ought to do that. He says that when you count your blessings, name them one by one, then you'll be surprised at what the Lord has, and that's past tense, has done, has already done. You see, we sometimes when life gets difficult and things aren't going our way and the bottom seems to fall out or you're in life and all of a sudden you are in what we call the storms of life and the, the winds are howling and the water is gashing around and you're just flailing around and you just don't seem like you can get any foothold on anything. We need to stop and we need to remember what God has already done. Now, why do we need to remember what God has already done? Because when we stop and think about what God has already done, we are reminded that he's not done yet. See, in our past, he hasn't stopped working before, and therefore he's not going to stop working now. It's the same idea of Paul when he talked to the church in Philippi, and he said, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until that day. It's to understand that God blessed me then, he's going to continue to bless me now, and he's going to continue even to bring blessing in my life until the day, and that day being the return of Christ. And, and so no matter what we're going through in our life, no matter how hard it gets or what kind of storms we're in, we need to take time to be thankful and count our blessings, and then we'll be surprised what God has already done, which in turn reminds us that he's not done yet. You see, God has never stopped blessing us. He will never stop blessing us until we go to be with him. You see, our problem in our culture is we've bought into the lie that blessing has everything to do with health and wealth, possessions, relationships. See, we, 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 it's called the health and wealth gospel or the prosperity gospel. If you come to Christ, everything will be all right. If you just have enough faith, you won't be sick anymore. Now, the Bible, where does that say that? That nowhere in Scripture does it tell us that life's going to get easy as a believer. But, but we, we sit there and we think about blessings and we forget about what Paul said to the church in Ephesus when he said, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Those spiritual blessings are the things that this world can't touch. You see, this world, it can touch my health. It can touch my emotions, my relationships. It can touch my possessions. But it can't touch my spiritual blessings because it's not here. The blessings are there where I will one day be too. And so those blessings have already been accomplished. And when life gets difficult, I need to be reminded it's not, 
health and wealth and possessions and relationships and all this other stuff that he's saying he's going to bless me with. He's blessed me with every spiritual blessing, which is in Christ, which means that my eternity is secure and, and stored for me, and that's where I'm going to be one day, and those will never go away, no matter what this world takes away. And so he's reminding in this first verse to count your blessings in life's difficult times. The second thing in the second verse that he talks about is not only do we need to count our blessings when life, physical life, is struggling or, or in, in difficulty, but we need to, to celebrate and, and count our blessings when we're in spiritual difficulties. You see, so verse 1 talks about difficulties of our physical life. Verse 2 speaks of difficulties in our faith, our everyday walk with Christ. Matter of fact, it's clearly understood when you read it. Now look at that second verse with me real quick. He says, are you ever burdened with a load of care? And here's the key to this verse. Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly, and you'll be singing as the days Go by. The, the main emphasis of that verse that we need to be mindful of is does the cross seem heavy that you're called to bear? Now, when you understand that statement, it helps us believe and understand that he is talking, the, when you talk about the cross that we bear, you're talking about an everyday relationship with Christ, of following Christ every day. That's spiritual. That's what Jesus says has to happen if anyone wants to be his follower. What did he say? If you want to be my follower, you've got to first deny yourself, then take up your cross, and then follow me. And so when he puts, does your cross seem heavy, you're called to bear, he's talking about your struggle of following Christ. And, and let me tell you something. Following Christ is not always easy. If you haven't figured that out yet, you, you might want to. Because it's not always easy. And sometimes you're going to have to take a stand with something that no one else will stand for. Sometimes you're going to have to stand for righteousness and truth and holiness. Or sometimes you're going to have to stand for grace and mercy and forgiveness when no one else wants to. Following Christ isn't always easy. What when he, when he tells you to go somewhere and you don't want to go? I know I'm not the only one that God has told to go tell someone about Jesus. And in my mind I'm sitting there going, but I don't want to. At least I know I have one person that keeps me company in that, and that's Jonah. And it's not just about evangelism. It's about everything. Whatever God leads us to do, we're to do, and that's not always easy. What happens when God tells you and calls you into ministry and you've, all you've ever done is work a secular job your whole life? Or God calls you to sell something. And give that money to someone who's in more need than you are. That's not easy. Fo following Christ, your spiritual cross of following him is not always easy. Not, and not just those things. It, it's your everyday walk. Following Christ is not easy when you make mistakes every day the way we do. When, when people can sit back and say, well, oh, hey, didn't you do this and do that and do this? And you're trying to witness to them and evangelize them and tell them the gospel. And all they can bring up is everything you've done wrong. Which, by the way, the best thing you can do in that instance is say you're proving my point. You're, you're proving why I need Jesus. Everything you just said is why I need Jesus. It's the same reason why you do. But see, when, when we're called to follow Jesus, that's why he uses the word your cross. Because his cross was the instrument of death. And so he tells his followers, it's not going to be easy. But many of us, 
maybe not so much in this church, I'm talking about as a culture in the American church as a whole, have bought into the lie, like I said a little bit ago, that when you become a Christian, everything is going to be a bed of roses. But we forget that every rose still has a thorn. I think that came from a song at some point. Alyssa <laughs> got it because she started giggling. Okay. Anyway, they're, 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 we, we think that when we come to Christ, everything's going to be easy and comfortable, and it's not. As a matter of fact, we're told Jesus said flat out, in this world you will have trouble. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about his followers. Now, why will his followers have trouble? Well, according to what Jesus said, it has to do with the fact that we now have the light of Christ living in us. And he also says that the world and the God of this world hates the light. So here's the thing. Before you and I become a Christian, you had no reason, Satan had no reason to attack you, to come after you, to do anything negative to you, because you weren't hurting him. But when you become a Christian and you become a follower of Christ, and the light of Christ now shines within you... The world and Satan, who runs the world, hates the light, therefore they hate you. Now, I'm not talking about the people, I'm talking about the spiritual now. But they hate the light, they reject the light. That's why Jesus said, hey, long before they rejected you, they rejected me. You remember that. That's who they're really rejecting is him, but you represent him. You have him living within you. And so the cross of Christ that he calls us to follow is not easy in any way, shape, or form. You now have as a believer, I used to tell my students when I was a youth minister, when you become a Christian, you now have a big old target on you. And trust me, Satan has a lot of game film on your weaknesses, and he will use it. See, he don't come after you where you're strong. He always comes after you where you're weak. You see, I, I love coaching. I did some coaching this year, and one of the things that I do, and I'm just really particular about this, is I watch film on every lineman that we're playing, both offense and defensively, and I write down everything they do good and everything they do bad, and then I take that to the, to the players and say, they don't do this very well, so do this and take advantage of that. They don't do this very well, so do this, take advantage of that. Hey, they do this really good, so don't do that. Go back to this. This is their weakness. That's the way you get successful, and that's what Satan knows about us. He knows and has a lot of game film on us, and he attacks us where we're weak. So this spiritual walk with Christ isn't easy, yet here in our text and also in this song, we're told even in those spiritual difficulties, in our difficulties of faith, if you will, we need to count our blessings. And look what he says will happen when that, when that happens. He says, count your many blessings, every doubt will fly. Has anybody ever had doubt in your spiritual walk when you're spiritual in a spiritual valley or in spiritual difficulty? When you count your blessings, every doubt will fly, and you'll be singing as the days go by. You ever wondered how someone can sing their way through when they're really in a, and you know they're in a valley? I, I'm telling you, I... I haven't had this experience as often because we've been blessed. Not that we haven't lost people, we have. But in some of the churches I served in before, I, I've sat in rooms and listened to families sing the, the favorite song of their loved one as their loved one was slipping off into an eternity. And you sit back and you kind of go, how does one sing? 
in that. Well, when you remember the spiritual blessings you've been blessed with in Christ and you truly understand that death is not the end, that they're about to step into the very presence of God and they're really going to live for the first time, it's easier to sing. And those doubts, your faith doubts, begin to go away because you remember what God has already done, which also reminds you of what he is doing, which in turn reminds you of what he's going to do into completion until that day. So in life's physical difficulties, in life's spiritual difficulties, we need to count our blessings because of what they will do for us to do that. And, and think about that. The biggest blessing that you and I have by far, especially in our spiritual emphasis or our spiritual lives is our salvation and our salvation is secure in Christ thank God and we can sing even in the midst of that because of that number three the third verse kind of switches over and it goes from um, when we're having difficulties in our physical life uh, or difficulties in our spiritual life um, he actually kind of turns the focus in, into um, a focus problem this is the areas of life where we're having a hard time keeping our eye on what we need to keep our eye on. And I found it interesting what he uses to, to illustrate that. Look, look at that third verse. When you look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. And so right off the bat, he, he's basically saying, when you look out at everyone else and you basically are going, why don't I have what they have? I know nobody in this room has ever had that problem before. But it was a, a major problem when this song was written, and it's a major problem today. It, it's easy for us to look at someone and what they have and go, why don't I have that? God blessed them with this and this and this. Why didn't he give me those blessings? I don't understand. And, and you begin to lose your focus. And you think, well, life's always greener on the other side. If I only had what they had or if I had what they had. Trust me, life's not always greener on the other side. Had someone not long ago um, talk to me, and it was really kind of an eye-opening experience. <clears throat> and the question was, why did God give me the dad that I had, but he gave Galen, Garen, and Gabby the dad they had? That, that was hard for a minute. And then I had to make sure that I emphasized that I'm not perfect. And I actually had, I think, Galen make sure that I let her say, no, he's not perfect. Because I'm not. Now, on the outside, I may look like I have it more together than some dads. But I don't. I, I can tell you right now, parents of parents my age with kids their age, we don't know what we're doing. We're guessing. <laughs> That's true. Anybody that says, know what we're doing, no, no you don't. You're, you're, you're guessing. You've never done it before, so how do you know? And, But you, you have to remember that God has a plan, but you need to remember that those things that you're looking at, they, they don't come without their problems too. 
to say, Pastor, let me, let me give you an even better example. Pastors are bad about that, by the way. When stuff's not going very well in the church, it's easy when another church calls to say, man, maybe I should go over there, a little bigger. Seems like everything's good. I'm here to tell you, you leave a church with trouble, you're just going to inherit a church with another one. It's just different. Because there's no such thing as a church without problems. Every church has problems. They're just different problems. And you won't know what they are until you get there, no matter how perfect they tell you the church is. I've been blessed. I'm in the only perfect church there is. But I'm telling you, that was a joke. Some of you didn't get it. You'll catch on to that later. No, I'm serious. We're a blessed church, but we're not without our problems. And that's what we do. We begin to look at things someone else has, and we go, why don't I have that? And then it's in those moments that we need to stop and think about what we do have. And what we do have that means more than anything to us should be our relationship with God. Those spiritual blessings should mean more to us than anything else we have, whether or not it's gold or land. And that's the illustration he uses. In our lives, it would be possessions or money or jobs or a career or relationship. Whatever it is we're looking at, we need to remember none of those come close in comparison to the spiritual blessings we've already had. And so when we focus on those and count those blessings, our focus shifts from the things it's not supposed to be on and it shifts back to being thankful for what God has given us. Because everything we have is by God's good grace. He didn't have to give us anything. He didn't have to give you breath this morning. You have no, by the way, you have no say in your next breath. He didn't have to give that to you, but he did out of his good grace. And, and that's what this verse is talking about. And he says, count your many blessings. Money cannot, and, and then he explains it. Count your many blessings. Money cannot buy your reward in heaven, nor your home on high. And, and we're reminded that when we look at people's possessions and things that they have, we need to be reminded, and that's what this song brings us back to, is we need to be reminded that none of that stuff they have can buy our home in heaven or the reward we have there. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't buy your reward in heaven. That's not the way it works. And so when we count our blessings, we, our focus shifts away from the world, and it shifts back to the things where it's supposed to be, which is in the heavenly things, and then God uses that to encourage us through those times. And then the fourth verse and the last one we'll close this morning. Is not only should we count our blessings during life's physical difficulties, during our spiritual life's difficulties, or in our focus issues that we have when we let our focus get on the world and the things of the world instead of on the blessings that we have stored for us in heaven. The fourth one deals with spiritual conflict. Now, this is a little bit different than the spiritual Problems Because verse 4, I mean verse 2 was dealing with issues that we face in our faith, of our daily walk with Christ. The sin issues that we face, um, the things that Satan throws at us, having a target on our back, all those things. Spiritually, the spiritual attacks that we come under, all of that is dealt with in the second verse. But the fourth verse is dealing with the problems that we face when we're in spiritual battle. Okay, now, now listen to it really quick. He says, so amid the conflict, 
whether great or small, do not be discouraged. God is over all. And then he says this, count your many blessings. Angels will attend, help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Now, how do I know that he's dealing with spiritual conflict here? Well, there's two reasons I know that. One is because that's what the author said he's dealing with. That's, that's number one. But two is when you look at the words and you understand what Scripture says, you can begin to tie them together. He says, so amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged, God is overall. And then at the very end, he says, help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Now, what does that have to do with spiritual conflict? Well, we need to remember that um, we are in a Christian mission. We are Christian Christians on mission in a spiritual conflict is what the Bible says. Now, let, let, me, let me say what that means. The Bible tells us very clearly that there, we don't war against the world or the things of this world, but the, the, the war that we fight against is against spiritualities and, and principalities and the unseen places. And it's the idea that there's a spiritual battle that's raging uh, spiritually, that it, things we don't see. And we are in that battle. The battle that we war against is not flesh and blood. It's against principalities and spiritual things in the unseen places. And there are many places in Scripture that talk about the idea that we as Christians are soldiers in that battle. And we're to be good soldiers in that battle. And we've talked about that in the past. But we also need to remember as a Christian, this comes back to the journey, as a Christian, we have been commissioned on a journey to advance the gospel until the day we die. In Matthew chapter 28, he told, uh, he told the disciples, which has been passed on to us, Go ye therefore into the nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the Great Commission. That's what we're told to do. In Acts chapter 1, he tells his disciples that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me or upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria until the ends of the earth. You and I, when we become a Christian, we have joined an army, and we are on a mission to take the gospel to fight against this spiritual battle that's raging that you can't see. It's a spiritual battle, but it's real nonetheless. And you and I are to fight in it. And I want you to know, when you enter into the spiritual battle, you're in a conflict. And that's what he says right here. When amid the conflict, what, what's a conflict? What Christian conflict are we in? The spiritual battle. Whether it's a great spiritual battle or a small spiritual battle. Do not be discouraged. God is overall. And you know what that reminds me of? If the great battle is against things we don't see, and the, and the victory is found in Jesus Christ and through the gospel, then we need to also remember that what Paul told the church in Corinth, in Corinth, that the victory belongs to God when it comes to people's salvation. See, you and I are the pawns that are used. We're the foot soldiers that take the gospel but its effectiveness is all up to God and the Holy Spirit. So when you and I enter this battle and begin to fight the gospel battle, we're only losers when we don't engage. But when we engage the gospel, the results have always been up to God, not me. It's not my place to save anyone. I can't. It's not your place to save anyone. 
That's God's job. That's what God does through Jesus Christ. But when we get in this conflict, whether it's great or small, we need to be remembered that God is over all. And then we need to sit back and count your many blessings. And when we do, angels will attend. That's the idea of comfort. Listen, I want you to know, if you've never been engaged in the spiritual battle of taking the gospel to people, there are some times where it's just downright discouraging. You sit there and you pray for someone and you pray for someone and you pour your heart into them and you share the gospel with them over and over and over and over just to watch them turn their back on it consistently, constantly, over and over, rejecting the truth that you know they need in their life. Sometimes that's very, very discouraging and heartbreaking. When you see them abandoning the thing that could give them the life that they so much want, for the things that is only taking their life from them. Abandoning the gospel for drugs or alcohol or pornography or whatever it is that they're looking for in their life to give them life that is only sucking the life out of them. And here you are engaged in this spiritual battle with the gospel as often as you can and as passionate as you can just to watch them turn and abandon it is disheartening. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, sometimes it makes you just want to quit. Not preaching, not pastoring, not being a Christian. It just makes you want to quit fighting. And that's what he says, count your many blessings. And when God does that and reminds you that he's in charge of the, the, the results, that's his job. We're just involved in that. And he says that angels will attend and help and comfort give you until your journey's end. When's your journey end? Your journey doesn't end until your life is over. I got a pastor that's nearing the friend of mine that's, I, I know he's nearing the end of his life, physical life, on this earth. He's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and Lou Gehrig's disease. I never will forget when he retired from the pulpit. He said, he said a couple things that were really good, but one of the things he said was, when you're in the ministry, you don't really retire. You just retread. I didn't really know what that meant at first until I watched him retire and continue to serve the Lord as a chaplain in a hospital and then serving as a pastor in churches that needed to fill in and then finding a church that couldn't afford a full-time pastor and him go back into the pulpit and pastor again for a church that needed that's what it means you never stop until your journey's in no matter how big the conflict great small no matter how hard it gets you never stop because your journey in this conflict is not over until your life is over the last thing I'll say this morning is Martin Luther, who I talked about in our first uh, song, that, that wrote our first song that we looked at, the, the leader of the Reformation. He wrote in a book, he wrote this. He says, the greater God's gifts and works, the less they are regarded. What he meant by that is, we tend to exhibit with a degree of thanksgiving in reverse proportion to the amount of blessings we've received. And, and this example he gave. A hungry man is more thankful for his small portion than a rich man for his heavily loaded table. I, I and, he, and this is one that I came up with, probably because of our church and, and some of where some of our people work. A lonely woman in a nursing home 
is more appreciative of a visit than a popular woman who's having a party thrown in her honor at her own home. What, what that tells us is we tend to exhibit a degree of thanksgiving in reverse proportion to what we've been given. Think about it. If the birds only sang once a year, we'd all pay close attention, but since they're singing every morning, we don't pay any attention to it. But we need to be reminded that Scripture and this hymn both teach us that we are to give thanks always, not just once a year at Thanksgiving, but every day for every spiritual blessing, no matter what state of life you're in, whether or not you're having physical life difficulties or spiritual faith difficulties or focus issues or you're in the spiritual conflict of the gospel and you feel defeated. In all situations and at all times, we are to give thanks to God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing.